Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So if you continue on that, just note that there is a fin. And Matt, since you're the geologist, could you describe what a fin is? It's a long, skinny <laughs> rock that drops off on both sides. <laughs> and when the wind's blowing really hard, which seems like every time we do it, you're in danger of falling to your death. Twice when we have hiked across this fin, there have been women who were scared and you, Matt, had to help them down, literally hold their hand. Yeah, I do a lot of hand-holding of strange women on, on the fin. <laughs> not sure how I feel about that. I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> this is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast. Stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other amazing public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today, we're sharing our top 10 favorite hikes in the national parks. It wasn't easy narrowing the list to just 10, but these are the hikes that we find ourselves doing over and over again when we visit the parks. We know that everyone has their own list of favorite national park hikes, and people appreciate different things when it comes to hiking trails. But whether you prefer hiking through forests, deserts, or to the top of mountains, this list covers them all. So thanks for hanging out with us for the next hour or so. You can see how your list of favorites compares to ours, and who knows, maybe you'll find a new hike or two to put in your wish bucket. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Karen. We are back in the studio. Do you remember how to do all this? I yeah. fixed my mic here. It's pointing the wrong way. Okay, there we go. I feel like I'm a little bit rusty. I'm not rusty. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> it has been a while. We've been on a break. That's right. We've also been on a very long road trip through the West. I tried to figure out how many miles we drove, but you know, we kind of in some places went in circles and it wasn't a straight out and back, but it was roughly 3,500 miles. Yeah, 3,500 miles. A lot of car time. A lot of uh, <laughs> passengers sleeping in the passenger seat. You mean you? Because no, no. I drove a lot on this yeah, trip. You drove. <laughs> How many hours do you think you drove of all the hours? You probably drove five. I drove probably two hours every day that we were on the road. Yeah, yeah that's probably right. Yeah, I yeah. think so. That's the scariest part of the day. <laughs> No, it's I, actually not. No, you're you're a, a great driver. I don't have any problem. We took your car on this trip, but it's not a an off road vehicle. So if we're gonna go off road, which on this trip we did, uh, we took it anyway. Yeah, and it did fine. You know, we spent a lot of time in Wyoming. In the now, not the Wyoming that is uh, Yellowstone and Grand Teton, which the, is fabulous. Yeah, the, the other Wyoming, <laughs> the rest of Wyoming that not a lot of people go to. And you know. It might be my new favorite state. Your new favorite state? Yes. You know why? Because we stayed in the charming towns of Sheridan and Buffalo. So Wyoming has historic charming towns, right? We did some incredible hikes in Bighorn National Forest. So great hiking plus scenic drives. And of course, who can forget all those Oregon ruts that we looked at, the Oregon Trail wagon ruts. The ruts. The ruts. Yeah. Wyoming has South Pass. I didn't really know a lot about South Pass until this trip to Wyoming. But man, if you're going to 
if you're going to do the Oregon Trail, or for that matter, the California Trail, you got to go through South Pass. Yes. Lots of cool um, Oregon Trail National Park sites and military forts and just so much in Wyoming, plus rodeos. They got some rodeos. I know. I think we should do an entire podcast episode on, we could do a big loop of Wyoming and all the cool things there are to see and do. Are we going to do that? I don't know. You have a lo- you have a lot of ideas of podcast episodes that then later we sit down to record and you don't want to do them. No, it's not I don't want to do them. It's that I can't remember what my ideas were. All right, well good. This is this is a an audio note to mm-hmm. yourself that we're going to do an episode about Wyoming. But that wasn't our main destination. We were just making some pit stops to and from Our main destination was Breckenridge, Colorado, to meet up with our very good friends, Bob and Sue. Yeah, spend some time with Bob and Sue. And we also recorded an episode with Bob and Sue. Got all the microphones out and yucked it up. Yeah, it was supposed to be, we thought we were going to be interviewing them, but it was really more they were interviewing us. Actually, no one was interviewing anyone. Sue it was, was hogging the mic. She was kind of a mic hog. But yeah, a lot of uh, lot of laughing, a lot of... Um, jocularity. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, a jocularity. lot of jocularity. Yeah. But it's not going to be just an ordinary podcast episode. It's not. No. This is part of our behind-the-scenes series, which is going to be only on our Patreon account. That's right. Next month, sometime in September, we are going to start a Patreon account for our listeners. And and if you're not familiar with that, it's a way for people to financially support someone in the arts, whether it be someone who's a painter or a musician or maybe just a couple of podcasters. Are we going to have your paintings? <laughs> Are we going to have your paintings on Patreon? Is that what uh, you're saying? I'm not quite ready to reveal those yet. <laughs> but anyway, we will have more details in September. But basically, I think it's going to be, what, a $5, uh, $5 a month subscription. And then you will have access to some bonus episodes that will come out throughout the month. Yeah, I think, I think that's what we're going to do. Just one level, $5 a month. Yeah. Give us money. You're not supposed to say it like yeah, that. Yeah, just, just give us money. No, man. And you'll get <laughs> you gotta other po- stuff. Okay, you got to polish that up a little bit. You don't just ask for money. You're supposed That's to say- what we're doing. Well, I know, but you're supposed to say stuff like, for less than a frappuccino, you could I don't know what have- that is. <laughs> <laughs> for less than a latte, you could have bonus content from us. I think I'd rather have a latte. <laughs> That's why I don't say it that way. <laughs> it's either us or a latte. We're screwed. <laughs> this is not going to work. Well, All right, not, forget everything we said. You promoting it about the All right. Patreon account. All right, we'll we'll figure out our pitch. Yeah, we're going to have to work on that a little bit. But more details coming up next month in September. All right. So, what's this episode about? We're going to talk about our top 10 favorite hikes in the national parks. Yeah, it was fun putting this list together. In our podcast series, we talk about a lot of public lands. We talk about BLM, other state parks. So we're not going to put those hikes in this list. These are just national parks. We had to find a way to narrow it down because some of the most spectacular hikes we've been on have been in the national forests. And so we don't have enough time in this episode to go over all of them. Maybe that'll be a separate episode one day. Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe Mm -hmm. we should do that at our 10 favorite non-national park hikes. But today, there are going to be ones that are in the national parks. Also, the ones we're going to talk about are hikes that you do not need a permit to. So if your favorite hike happens to be Half Dome in Yosemite or Angel's Landing in Zion, we won't be talking about those today. Yeah, also because we haven't done those. so um, <laughs> And because we will never do those. <laughs> that's, that's right. It's kind of like back in the day when Bill Murray used to do his Oscar picks for the movies. And if he hadn't seen it, that that movie doesn't get a, doesn't get a vote, right? So that's right. kind of how we're doing it. And these hikes, they're generally, they're kind of longish. I don't know, five to 10 miles, some, some even more than 10 miles. So what we've done is for each of the hikes on the list, 
if it's a hard hike and you want an alternative that's not as hard or not as long, we give some alternatives. Right. Some ways that you could either make the hike shorter or do a completely different hike in the same area. We've heard from a lot of people who said that they appreciate when we do an overview of a national park, when we list difficult hikes, moderate hikes, and easy hikes, because obviously there are all different levels of hikers out there. And so we try to include something for everybody. Right. And with any of these hikes, you can always turn around whenever you want. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes you don't get to the destinations. Some of these hikes are spectacular from, from the very beginning and some there's a destination. So we'll kind of point that out as we go through the list. That's right. And the first one we're taking you to is in our home state of Washington at a park that's fairly close to us and very near and dear to our hearts. And that would be Mount Rainier National Park. Yeah, one of our favorite national parks because we can see it from, <laughs> from our neighborhood, uh, the Mount Rainier peaking out there. And uh, it's it's a great park to visit uh, summertime. Generally, a lot of these hikes aren't snow-free until about this time of the year, you know, late, late July, early August. But if you're here in the summer, Skyline Loop is one of our favorite hikes. And the trailhead for this hike is in the Paradise area of the park. It's located near the entrance to the visitor center up there, which is the Jackson Visitor Center. And you'll see these really cool stone steps that are inscribed with a quote by John Muir. And so that's where most people start this hike and they hike it clockwise. But actually, we prefer to do it counterclockwise because that way we're not trying to pass people and trying to um, adjust our pace to other people's pace. We're going in the opposite direction. So this trail is about five and a half miles round trip. It's a loop, about 1,700 feet elevation gain. So that not a ton of elevation gain, although there are, there are a couple of spots that were kind of steep, but certainly doable for anyone who can hike five and a half miles. If you do it clockwise and you start at those stone steps, I believe it's two miles all the way uphill right at the very beginning. That's good for people who like to get the elevation gain out of the way at the beginning of the hike. Yeah, definitely. What do we love about this hike, Matt? So two things. Mm -hmm. One is on a clear day in summer, you have spectacular jaw-dropping, I would even say, Mm -hmm. jaw-dropping views of Mount Rainier itself. Yes. Um, Another thing I like about this that you you wouldn't read in trail descriptions is there's marmots everywhere. Oh, my gosh. Everywhere. Whistling. And the last time we did this hike, remember, we saw them fighting. Yeah, fighting, or were they playing? I don't know. I think it they was were like- mating, mating season, <laughs> and they were fighting for dominance. They were fighting for, you know, the the attention of the female marmots. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. How do you know anything about the mating season of the marmot? I'm gonna- I, know, I know a lot of things. No, you don't. Yeah, I, I know a lot of things, and you don't know everything I know. Wait, I'm going to look that up because I'm going to call BS on that. Hold on a second. Mating season of the marmot. Where where are you looking this up? On Google, of course. Okay, so it says mating season is in the spring when they come out of hibernation. So, oh, wait, you know what it says here? Okay, this is the cutest thing ever. It says that marmots are part of a family. The marmot family? Well, their own little unit. It's like a husband and a wife, and they only mate with each other. Oh, okay. So they're not fighting for dominance because they have a, a wife, <laughs> so to speak. Oh, so like that's it? Once they're mated, it's the other male marmots stay away? Okay, it does say here occasionally they do cheat on their partner. <laughs> what are you looking at? I'm looking at Wikipedia, of course. How many species of marmots are there, Karen? I don't know. Do you want me to look that up? I thought it was five. I thought we wrote it in the book that there were five species. Well, just because we wrote it in the book doesn't make well, it right. <laughs> most of the stuff in the book was incorrect. <laughs> okay, 15 species living in Asia, Europe, and North America. No, so just, all around the just, world, just there's North 15. America. Just North American uh, marmots. Okay. I believe there's so the one in uh, Mount Rainier that we saw was the hoary marmot, right? You're asking me now? Yes. I thought you were the expert. Then there's the yellow belly marmot. There's the, My favorite. Oh, there's the Olympic marmot in Olympic National Park, right? 
There is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Again, asking me, you're the one reading Wikipedia. You know, there's a groundhog. That's that's my favorite kind of marmot. (laughs) Oh, it looks like there's an alpine marmot too. So maybe there are, did you say there were five? Maybe there are five in North America. I don't know. We've gotten so far off track. I don't even know where we are now. What what are we? we, Yeah. Where are we? Are we still recording? You know, what's really sad is this is only hike number one. (laughs) Did we say at the beginning this was going to be a 60-minute episode? Because if we did, it's going to be more than 60 minutes. Go get some popcorn. Yeah, settle in. <laughs> We've also seen a black bear out on that trail. Oh, as that's well. right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. The other thing, too, it seems like we've always hiked this in August and. When we have been there, the wildflowers were incredible. That's another reason why this is a, a great hike because in these alpine areas, when the wildflowers are at, usually later summer, when the snow's all gone, I mean, it's just just beautiful. Yes. So it's a loop, as we said. And when you're not facing Mount Rainier, you're facing out to the rest of the park, which also has incredible mountains and views. So no matter where you are on this loop trail, the views... The scenery is stunning. Okay, so if you wanted an alternative to this hike, what would you suggest, Karen? So also up at the Paradise area is um, the Nisqually Vista Trail. Now, this is just a 1.2-mile loop. Um, It's considered easy. It also has some spectacular views of Mount Rainier. Didn't we snowshoe that trail in the winter? Yeah, we did. Now, just a note about that. So there's some great snowshoeing up there if you're visiting in the winter. That Skyline Loop Trail, we would not recommend uh, snowshoeing that in the winter because the visibility up there can be zero. People have gotten in, in trouble trying to snowshoe that Skyline Loop in the winter. Yeah, that's a little sketchy. There's There are other places... Maybe I would recommend in Mount Rainier National Park to snowshoe other than that. Yes. So the best time to do either the Skyline Loop or the Nisqually Vista? Mid-July to end of September. Yeah. And and check that uh, if you're going to you know come from out of town to the park, you know, call the ranger station or the visitor center to see uh, what the snow levels are. Because I know this year, 2022, the snow hung around for quite a bit. I mean, it was... It was deep well into July. Right. And we saw a lot of posts from people and heard from a lot of uh, a lot of you who visited, you know, end of June and early July and tried to do that Skyline Loop. And there was so much snow and people were post-holing. It's actually dangerous to do it when there's that much snow. Yeah. Generally, I don't like walking on snow in the summer because you just don't know what's underneath it. Right. And a lot of times there could be a stream underneath it. If you go through, it can be really bad. Do not plan your trip before mid-July. Roads will be closed. Snow will be at the higher elevation. So mid-July, mid-July and later. Okay. So that was Mount Rainier National Park. Let's move to the North Cascades, Karen. This hike we'll talk about is is in North Cascades National Park. Yes. One of the few trails that's actually in the National Park part of the entire North Cascades complex. So this is Cascade Pass, then to the Sahali Glacier. Right. right? So you start on the Cascade Pass Trail, then you, then you continue to the Sahali Glacier. That Round trip is about 12 miles, 4,000 feet of elevation gain. Now, a couple of things you could do to make this shorter. So that 12 miles takes you all the way up to Sahali Glacier, where there are these incredible campsites. You do need a permit to camp up there, and they're very difficult to get. But you don't need a permit to day hike up there. So what you could do is you could hike up to the Sahali Arm, which is this gorgeous area, and then just hike to the foot of the ascent up to the glacier, which is this boulder field. So you could skip that and still have a spectacular hike. So wait, you you go down the arm to the foot? (laughs) Is that what what I said? Is that what we're suggesting? You go up the arm to the foot. Up the arm Mm -hmm. to the foot. Right. (laughs) Uh, If that makes sense, you're essentially skipping the last scramble to the campsites. Right. right. And and that's, that's, you're going to get beautiful views. If you do have the time and energy do the scramble up to the campsites. It's the prettiest campsite we've ever seen. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, the views are just phenomenal from up there. And people have said, now people have argued about this. I haven't sat on every toilet in the world, <laughs> but people argue that the toilet up at, at Sahali Glacier has the prettiest view 
in the world of any toilet. Yes. Well, like you said, we haven't sat on that many toilets with views, but I would agree it's spectacular. It is an open toilet, <laughs> meaning there it's not an outhouse there, with there's walls. No, there's no walls around. No. So not only do you have a view of the mountains, but people have a view of you. Well, so, you know. generally, like the, people know where the toilet is, so that they give people privacy. Sure. Now, one other way to make this hike easier is to skip the Sahali Glacier part of it and just hike to Cascade Pass equally stunning and that would shorten it to 7.4 miles round trip and 1700 feet of elevation gain yeah i think just the view from cascade pass is incredible yeah this trail is like uh to me it was like being out in the sound of music it's kind of like that feeling when you're up there one thing to know about getting to the trailhead you have to drive 23 miles on the cascade river road more than half of which is unpaved And this road's only open for a short period of time in the summer, usually starting uh, sometime in July, late July, actually. They have to do a lot of clearing. And I used to think when roads are closed in the winter and then it takes them, you know, a long time to open them in the summer that it's just moving snow off the road. That's not it. When we did this hike, they had just opened it that morning. There's trees and rocks and landslides that they have to clear with bulldozers. And and so it usually takes them late into the summer to get that road cleared. Yeah, it seems to be later every year. I think it used to open around the 4th of July, but now it does seem to be later and later. Also, this summer, 2022, they are doing some road construction on this Cascade River Road. And so it has been closed, not the entire 20-mile road, but the last three miles have been closed to cars. So then people have to park and hike in that extra. And that makes it a lot tougher. <laughs> it does. I mean, yeah. it's it's already, if you go all the way to Sahali Glacier, the, the, the campsites, I mean, it's already 12 miles from the established trailhead. If you add another six, I mean, that's a long day, mm-hmm. a lot of people have that kind of energy and stamina so that's great but just know if the road's closed prior to the trailhead you're going to add that distance you can call the ranger station at marble mount and they will know yeah. what the status is. Right. And they keep it updated on the National Park website, the North Cascades website as well. So you can look on there and see when it is open. But this is a hike you do not want to miss if you're visiting North Cascades. But if you're in that general area, There is an alternative hike you can do, and we would recommend Blue Lake. Now, technically, this is not inside the National Park. You know, this is a big complex with a lot of public lands, and Blue Lake is actually in the National Forest. But it's the trailhead is right along Highway 20 that everyone who visits North Cascades will be driving right by. So this hike is uh, 4.4 miles round trip and about 1,000 feet of elevation gain. Yeah, so that's an alternative. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a hike to this beautiful lake. Absolutely stunning. So if you don't want to do the Cascade um, Sahali Glacier, check out Blue Lake. There are so many great hikes in the National Forest area of Highway 20 that we could do an entire podcast episode on just those alone. Yeah, some really great hikes, all of which are really popular hikes also. Uh, one recommendation in the summer when these trails are snow-free If possible, try to do these hikes on a weekday, not a weekend. Weekends get really crowded. A lot of cars parked even out on the highway. So if you're traveling on vacation, try to do it on a weekday. That's right. And the the best time to do these hikes would be pretty much the same as Mount Rainier, mid-July through the end of September. Before the 4th of July, the parking lots are not cleared. You know, they're full of snow. So again, you want to wait until mid-July or later in the summer for this one. Okay, moving on. Let's go to Wyoming. All right. And Grand Teton National Park. Whenever we go to Grand Teton, I I think maybe every single time we've ever visited that park, and and it's quite a few, we hike the Jenny Lake Trail. But if you're going to do that, we would add then on the backside of Jenny Lake, taking the spur that takes you up to Inspiration Point and then continuing up to Cascade Canyon. Right. So this is a combination that you can kind of put together your own hike depending on how far you want to go because there are different distances and there is also a shuttle boat that you can take across Jenny Lake to the trailhead for Inspiration Point and Cascade Canyon. So Matt, let's talk about some of the hike distances and the variations about boating versus hiking the whole thing. 
if you take the boat across the lake, which would be cool, just the boat ride from the point where they drop you off on the other side of the lake up to Inspiration Point, it's two miles round trip and, and 550 feet elevation gain. Right. So that's not a terribly long hike or very difficult. Now you can then from Inspiration Point continue essentially into the mountains mm-hmm. through Cascade Canyon. And we did that. I, I forget how far we went, but it was beautiful the whole way we went. Yes. We didn't go all the way to the where the fork is, but we went, you know, a couple of miles and it's absolutely gorgeous. Now, if you don't take the boat and you hike along Jenny Lake from the south, it's considered a moderate 5.7 miles round trip out and back hike with about 870 feet of elevation gain. So still fairly easy. But now we kind of take a different approach. We've hiked it from the north side of Jenny Lake. So we park over by String Lake. So there's a parking lot uh, at String Lake, and then we hike a little bit around String Lake, then pick up the Jenny Lake Trail on the north side. The mileage is a little bit less if mm. you do it that way, but it also, I th- I think, it gives you a better chance at parking. Yes, because that south area of Jenny Lake, where most people go, can get so busy in the summer. You see people parking for miles along the road. Now, the south side is where the boat dock is. So just note, if you want to take that shuttle boat, you do have to park on the south side. But if you're planning just to hike it, then we think it's a lot easier to park on the north side. Not as many cars there. Okay, but if you want to hike around the lake and all the way up to the forks of Cascade Canyon. It's 13.3 miles the whole distance round trip, about 1,700 feet elevation gain. And then, of course, if you do the boat ride, it cuts off, I don't know, about four miles. So it's 9.4 miles round Mm -hmm. trip. With 1,480 feet of elevation gain. Uh, Now, one note about the boat shuttles, they run every 10 to 15 minutes throughout the day, and they do not take reservations. So you just show up and get in line. That would be a cool thing to do, just the boat ride. Yes. Uh, It's about 20 bucks a person if you do round trip, $12 one way. Yeah. And if you have kids with you, there is a discounted rate for children for that boat shuttle too. So Matt, when do you think the best time to do this hike would be? Well, again, I mean, it's at elevation. I know one year we did it on Memorial Day, and there was six inches of snow on the ground. So I would say, gosh, like Mm mid-June to mid-October, and that's even kind of pushing it on the edges. Right. Although the last time we did this, it was early October. I think it was maybe October 3rd, and the leaves were changing color, And it was absolutely beautiful. It wasn't snowing yet, but there were reds and yellows. uh, So the fall colors were really pretty on this hike. Uh, So if you can catch that, that's great too. But again, yeah, summer and early fall. One other thing to say about this park, and it applies to anywhere in Grand Teton National Park, is take bear spray. Absolutely. There are brown bears and black bears and moose. We've seen a moose almost every time we've Mm -hmm. done this uh, trail. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, large mammals on this trail. And speaking of large mammals, our next two favorite hikes are in Glacier National Park in Montana. And you definitely want to have bear spray with you. A lot of bears there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this first hike in Glacier National Park is the Grinnell Glacier Trail. And this is in the Many Glacier area. And you essentially take this from the Many Glacier Hotel. We'll we'll talk about some alternatives to make it shorter. But from the Many Glacier Hotel, it's 10 and a half miles to the glacier and back, about 1,600 feet elevation gain. Now, just like at Jenny Lake, there is a boat that you can take to make this shorter. This is a concessionaire boat that runs from Many Glacier Hotel, and it shortens the distance to 7.2 miles. But unlike the boat at Jenny Lake, this one, you absolutely need to make reservations ahead of time. If you just show up, it's it's likely to be sold out and you're not going to get a spot on the boat. So if this sounds like something you want to do, you know, get online far in advance and get your tickets for that. So th- this may be a little confusing. I'm still confused about it a little <laughs> bit, but it's actually two boat rides. Okay, mm-hmm. so you buy one ticket, you take a boat across Swift Current Lake, mm-hmm. get off, you hike like not very far, and then second boat across Josephine Lake. Right. 
Then at the end of Josephine Lake, you pick up the trail and then hike up to uh, Grinnell Glacier from there. Right. You know, if I had to choose a favorite out of all these, this might be my favorite because the scenery is so unbelievably beautiful. And as you're walking along this trail, you are looking down at these turquoise lakes, you're looking up at the mountains of Glacier. Uh, Usually we see wildlife of all kinds. We've seen a black bear, we've seen the what were those the Bighorn sheep, bighorn that, sheep, yeah, that ran us off the trail. There's a waterfall that you have to hike under. It has, it has everything. And uh, then it has an incredible destination. You get up to the glacier itself. Now it's much smaller than it used to be, and you'll be at the edge of Upper Grinnell Lake. When we were there, it was a beautiful turquoise color and had chunks of ice floating in it. It was so cool. And then you have this stunning backdrop of the garden wall. The whole thing is just incredible. You know, I'd even say it's amazeballs. We don't use that No, we don't use amazeballs anymore. (laughs) That's on the list of banned words. Now, an easier option, so one of the turquoise lakes that I mentioned is Grinnell Lake that you're looking down on, but if you don't want to hike up to the glacier and you take the boat across, you can hike to the lake. So you take the boat, and then when you get off the boat, it's a three-mile round-trip easy hike with only about 147 feet of elevation gain. And that's a different trail than the Grinnell Glacier Trail. Yes, This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Okay. All right, we have another hike that we love in this park. This is hike number five on our list of top 10. And this is the Highline Trail Loop. Right. Now, we hiked this to the Granite Park Chalet because we were staying there. It's it's not really a loop. It's kind of an open loop, right? If mm-hmm. you start at the Logan Pass parking lot, the entire loop trail is 12 miles, but you come out at what's called the loop. And then you got to get picked up there. Right. Uh, so you leave a car at Logan Pass and then down by the bend in the road. Mm-hmm. So you have a car at each side. Or there are hiker shuttles that will take you between those points. Exactly. A couple of things about this trail we should note. At about a quarter of a mile into the trail from the trailhead at Logan Pass, you arrive at the infamous ledge. This is where the trail hangs like a shelf along the garden wall. And it's about six to eight feet wide along this point, And it has drop offs of, you know, 100 feet or more. Now, this ledge section only lasts for about a third of a mile. Um, and there is a cable to hang on to. But this is, you know, this is scary for a lot of people who have a fear of exposed places and steep drop offs. Yeah, I was a little concerned about doing this, just reading the description before we hiked that trail. And we had backpacks. They weren't super heavy backpacks, but I mean, it adds some weight. And, and, you know, sometimes it causes you to be a little less stable. I wasn't concerned at all hiking that trail. I wasn't either. And usually I hate that. If the trail is, you know, one to two feet wide, it makes me extremely nervous. But this six to eight feet wide seemed like a big enough cushion. You know, I just stayed along the cliff edge side of it and hung onto the cable and I was fine. So I wouldn't necessarily let that discourage you. Yeah. And you don't even have to, I mean, you're not hanging on to the cable or else you're going to fall. It's just kind of like a, a a handrail, like just in case you slip, yeah. you have something to hold on to. And it would, it even had rained before we did that, so it was wet. And again, I never felt like it was slippery. I never felt like we were close to falling off. Uh, it was great to have the cable there, but you know, take your time, pay attention, you'll be fine. That's right. To make this hike easier, I think what we would recommend is. Start at Logan Pass Trailhead and hike three or four miles out and then turn around and go back because you will see the most spectacular part of the trail and you don't have to worry about trying to get picked up or take a shuttle. 
Right. And if, if you do have more time and more energy, about a mile before you get to the Granite Park Chalet, there is a spur trail that takes you to the top of the garden wall where you can actually look over the other side. And I think you're then now looking down on Grinnell Glacier and, and the many glacier uh, part of the park. So yeah, there's alternatives up there also for people who have more gas in the tank. What do you love about the Highline Trail, Karen? <laughs> you know, the scenery, we sound like a broken record because the scenery is incredible. It's incredible on all of these hikes that we're talking about. But this one, the first few miles, the trail is hugging the garden wall and you're sort of hiking parallel to the going to the sun road. So you're looking down on the road. You can see Logan Pass. You can see the mountains of Glacier. It's just beautiful. Yeah. So the best time to do this hike, now, just a reminder to everyone visiting Glacier that you do need to get a day use reservation to drive the going to the sun road. So that's step one if you're visiting. And then step two is the road needs to be open to take you up to Logan Pass. And of course, every year, the opening date varies. This year, it was pretty late. I think it was, was it July 13th? Yeah, I mean, that's something that you just don't know year to year. And I know it, it, it adds difficulty for people who are traveling from out of town. But I mean, it's just it's one of the realities of planning trips to great outdoor places. Right. You, know, you got the weather and issues like, you know, getting the road cleared. Right. And because this is at high elevation, of course, the snow is going to linger on these trails. So if you're planning a visit, we would suggest just like at Mount Rainier and some of these other places, July 15th or later in the summer. Yeah. But I, I will say, though, I know we have added two trails in Glacier National Park to our top 10 list. There are a ton of great hikes in Glacier National Park. You got Iceberg Lake, Ptarmigan Tunnel, Cracker Lake, Hidden Lake. I mean, these you almost can't go wrong on any of these trails. Agree. Yes. It was difficult for us to choose these two out of the list because world-class hiking in Glacier. Um, you could spend days and days and still not do all the great hikes that are there. Oh, yeah. And one more thing I forgot. This episode is brought to you by Dirtlander. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know. I don't have any slogans. I don't have taglines. I can't describe my merchandise. It's, it's an unimaginary t-shirt company. But we have other things. We have coffee mugs, hoodies. You're not allowed to insert an ad into our podcast unless you pay the going ad rate yes. for this particular yes. go podcast. go to dirtlander.com. <laughs> I'd like to see a check, please. Yeah, or or PayPal or Venmo me. No, you get a t-shirt. I'll get you. You know what I'll get you? It's one of those floral bison t-shirts. Those are hot items. <laughs> I know. I already have one. <laughs> All right. I'll get you something else. I'll get you a Dirtlander logo t-shirt. That's pretty cool. Uh-huh. I have one of those, too. How about a coffee mug? Yeah, I'll get you a coffee mug. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So let's keep it going. We're moving to Arizona now, Karen, to the granddaddy of them all, mm -hmm. Grand Canyon National Park. Right. We could not not put the Grand Canyon on our list because as far as we're concerned, it's one of those places everybody needs to see before they die. Yeah. And our trail that we're going to put on our list here is Bright Angel Trail from the South Rim. And I know that people also like the South Kaibab Trail mm -hmm. and, and the North Kaibab Trail. And, and those are spectacular too. Right. And you can just start at the top and hike down yes, as and far there, as you want. There are a lot of options. There's a rest house and a water stop at a mile and a half down. So that's a great hike. You know, it'd be three miles round trip. Then again, at three miles down the trail, there's another rest house and water. Um, so you could do that for a six mile round trip hike. And the third stop we wanted to mention is Indian Garden, which is four and a half miles down. And that would make it a nine-mile round-trip hike with about 3,000 feet of elevation change. And keep in mind, the up part of the elevation on all of these hikes, if you're going to start at the South Rim, is the second half of the hike. Right. right? You're, you're hiking down, and then you have to hike back up. I guess the good news is you have no choice. You have to you have to hike up or you're just going to like sleep on the trail. The sign at the trailhead says going down is optional, coming up is mandatory. 
So yeah, you got to keep that in mind and know your hiking ability. There are people who hike all the way down to the river and back in one day. The Park Service highly discourages that and so would we. Yeah, that's a real long haul to do that. And with that also... Really, the hard part of that hike is the second half. Yes. So you're not really sure how much energy you have left when you get to the bottom. And then then you got to get to the top. Right. And then people struggle and they have to be rescued, so to speak. And then the rangers have to put their lives in danger in extreme heat and go down and and get these people out. It's just not worth it. Yeah. If you're going to hike this trail, make sure you have plenty of water and electrolytes. Because oftentimes, people know about dehydration. They've actually had problems with hikers where it's they have plenty of water. They're hydrated. They just don't have enough electrolytes. They don't have salt in their system. They don't have potassium. So you got to both eat and drink if you're going to do these really tough trails. Yeah. And also, you know, in the summer, be very careful because this trail is mostly exposed, very little shade. And people can get into trouble with with the extreme heat there. So if you want to hike any of this trail in the summer, start early in the morning when it's cooler. Right. I even saw one ranger hiking with an umbrella, which I I think actually is a brilliant idea Mm -hmm. to just give her some shade (laughs) as she's hiking the trails. But I'm not even sure we have to say this, but the reason it's on our list is you have incredible views of the Grand Canyon Looking over the south rim of Grand, of the Grand Canyon is something everyone should do at least once in their life. Also, the Indian Garden spot that we mentioned is, it's almost like an oasis. It is, yeah. Um, it has water running through it. It also has a lot of vegetation, a lot of trees, a lot of shade. It's a very unique spot in the trail system that goes down to the river. There's also a campground there and people people camp there. Yeah, and, and established restrooms there that, yes. that mm-hmm. you can um, rest Yes, before you, <laughs> before you make your way back up. Right. So also an alternative to this would be just hiking on the rim itself. There is a rim trail there on the south rim of the Grand Canyon uh, and just anywhere along that rim. Yes, it runs for 13 miles. And, you know, there are certain sections that can be crowded with people, but you can also, we've talked about this before, you can take the shuttle up to Hermit's Rest There are a lot of stops along the way. You can get off. You can look over the rim. You can walk along the rim. So there are a lot of options for you, depending on how far you want to hike and how strenuous you want your hike to be. Yeah. So check that one out. We should note best time to best time to do this. Gosh, I mean, I I don't think there's a bad time to do it. Uh, Just note that it's at 7,000 feet elevation. So in the winter, it's really winter. I mean, it can Mm -hmm. be snowy and icy on the rim. uh, And then the summer, it can be super hot. Right. And August monsoon season. That's right. Okay. So so like, don't do it in any any of those times. Uh, The the other thing to note, which is a little tricky for this particular trail is we said that it's hot in the summer, but it is cooler at the top. So as you're hiking down, it's going to get hotter and hotter and hotter. And sometimes the temperature differential from the top of the rim to the river can be 20, 30 degrees different. So it could be 70 at the top and 100 at the bottom. Right. So just know that as you're going down, it's going to get hotter. All right. So we have covered the Grand Canyon in Arizona. Let's move to Utah. Uh, No surprise there. We have what? Seven, eight, nine. We We have four of our top 10 hikes are in Utah. And the first Utah hike on our list is Canyonlands in the Needles District, the Chesler Park Joint Trail Loop. Yes. Now, I know a lot of people go to the Island in the Sky District, which is up north by the town of Moab. Mm -hmm. And that's spectacular in and of itself. The Needles District is south. It's the southeast part of the park. It's its own separate district. And the reason for that is the Colorado and Green Rivers kind of carve the park up into districts. Right. And if you're staying in Moab, you can do a day trip to the Needles District. I think it, gosh, I think it takes maybe an hour and a half to get there from Moab. It's not, it's not too bad. Right. You could do that drive down and back Mm -hmm. and also do this, this hike. Right. I know we have mentioned this hike in a lot of different episodes. It's about 11 miles round trip with 1,800 feet of elevation change. And that's from the Elephant Hill Trailhead in the park. 
There's also a way to get there from the campground, I think Loop B, and we've done that before, but that adds extra mileage to a the lot. To, to the hike. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we would suggest uh, starting at the Elephant Hill Trailhead. This hike, I'm just trying to explain why why I love it so much. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's the Needles District, and you're hiking to and through the Needles, and those are hard to describe. These are just, you know, the best description I could give you is... Everyone's seen little cairns, you know, little trail markers where they've stacked three or four or five rocks on each other to mark the trail. Well, imagine one of those that's four or five hundred feet tall. Right. That's what the needles look mm-hmm. like. These tall rock spires. It's absolutely beautiful. So as you're hiking to Chesler Park, actually the whole hike, you are looking at these needles. And we've talked about this in our Slot Canyon episode. There is what appears to be a couple of Slot Canyons, but you're actually walking through passages that are in between two huge rock slabs. So that's not a true Slot Canyon, but those are cool to see. Uh, just a lot of variation on this trail. Right. And a lot of times you'll you'll go on a trail and it's a popular trail because you get to this destination and the destination's super cool, but sometimes the trail is just kind of, you know, ordinary to get there. This trail I think it's spectacular the whole way. Yes. Even though the joint is kind of at the very end of the loop, so it's the furthest spot from the trailhead. Uh and that's a really cool destination. I mean, getting there it's it's a great hike. Now, if this seems like too long of a hike for you, this 11 miles, you could just go to the Chesler Park viewpoint, and that cuts it down to only five and a half miles round trip and about 1,100 feet elevation gain. And that's what we did on our first hike. We only went to the Chesler Park viewpoint, still spectacular. Yeah, absolutely worth doing if you just go that far and, and, and stop. Right. We also wanted to mention that sharing the same trailhead is the hike to Druid Arch. Um, so if you've already done the uh, Chesler Park Joint Trail, check out the Druid Arch because it's also spectacular. Right. The trail peels off um, kind of like halfway or almost three quarters of the way to Chesler Park. And it, and then it goes towards Druid Arch. That's about a 11-mile round trip, 1,600-foot elevation gain. And again, the hike to the destination is spectacular. Right. Now, that is not an easier option. <laughs> that, it, no, no, it's that, not an right. easier option. No. It's, it's also a difficult hike. Right. The easier option on this would be just to go to Chesler Park and turn around. Um, we have not done any easy trails in that park. There might be some, but we haven't done any yet that to mention. So best time to do it? Well, again, it's probably easier to describe when not to do it, mm-hmm. which is like when we did it. Uh, we did it in the middle of August one time, I think, and almost died because it was 103 degrees. Um, yeah. So don't do that. I mean, really, you got to look at the weather forecast. And if it's going to be super hot, uh, either get a really early start or, or choose another day. But, you know, I think shoulder season, spring and fall are, are spectacular. Yes. Uh, we did the Druid Arch in March one time, and it snowed on us, uh-huh. which was pretty cool. But it snowed hard. Yes. It was such crazy weather that day because it snowed, then the sun came out, and it it was beautiful, and then it snowed again. We had all four seasons on that that hike. We did. And keep in mind, in Utah, you can get winter days that are spectacular, where, you know, there's no clouds in the sky, and it's cool, but you're hiking, and so you're, you know, generating heat by, by hiking, and it can be spectacular any time of the year if the weather's good, but generally I would say spring and fall. Yes, for sure. All right, so moving just slightly north of there to Arches National Park, we're going to mention the Devil's Garden Primitive Loop. And that, if you do the whole thing, that's going to have a distance of about eight miles round trip. I would, Karen, would you call this a lollipop loop? <laughs> No. (laughs) It is. It's a lollipop loop because it starts as one trail out, then it loops and comes back to the trail. That's exactly right. And I've been waiting for a time to use that term. (laughs) It is a lollipop loop. You're right. Now, one of the great things about this trail is there are a lot of arches 
along the trail. I, I believe there's seven. I'll have to double check that. Yeah, so the total distance is taking the spurs to look at these arches because some of them are off the beaten path a little bit. I do want to note, though, on the park website, when they describe the primitive section of the trail, they say... The obstacles in this segment include difficult route finding, steep slopes, narrow drop-offs, and rock scrambling. Hiking the primitive trail requires crossing a pool that may contain water. What if it doesn't have water? Is it still a pool? I don't know. That's a good question. Could you, could you look that up and yeah. get back to us before the end of this episode? So the reason I wanted to read that is because on our, I believe it was our Arches National Park episode, when we talked about this trail, we said that we didn't think the primitive section was that difficult. And then we heard from our ranger friend, Sarah, who is a a ranger at uh, Canyonlands. And she, she wrote to us and she told us that they do a lot of search and rescues on the primitive trail because people get lost and they get into trouble. So this time around, we're going to stress that it's not for everybody. I do remember a couple of spots where had we not seen other people, like we probably would have gotten lost. Yeah. (laughs) So a tip. And this is a pretty popular hike. Like if you really don't know where you're going, you could probably just stay where you're at for five or 10 minutes and other hikers will come along. Sure. And then you're just assuming they know where they're going, but uh, (laughs) at least then you'll be, you'll be lost in a crowd. So an easier option on this hike is to just hike to the landscape arch and the trail is I believe paved to landscape arch and it's only 1.9 miles round trip but it wouldn't be a lollipop loop it would not that's just an out and back trail so the lollipops out if you just go to landscape arch right now if you continue on from landscape arch to the point where the primitive trail is and it's signed it says primitive trail there's a little warning there if you continue on that just note that there is a fin and matt since you're the geologist could you describe what a fin is it's a long skinny (laughs) rock that drops off on both sides and when the wind's blowing really hard which seems like every time we do it you're in danger of falling to your death but If the wind isn't blowing hard, you just have to put one foot in front of the next and and you'll be fine. It's wide enough that I I was a, a little scared, to be honest, but not that scared. However, twice when we have hiked across this fin, there have been women who were scared and you, Matt, had to help them down, literally hold their hand. Yeah, I do a lot of hand holding of strange women on on the fin. <laughs> not sure how I feel about that. I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm literally walking people off the fin. And I guess they're assuming that I'm not scared. They're putting a lot of trust in you, I will say. So that's another thing to consider is this fin. Um, If that doesn't bother you, then definitely go back because there are some cool arches that you can see back in that area, even if you don't go on to do the primitive part of the hike. Yeah, we should mention, though, that we have always done this counterclockwise. And I guess you could do it clockwise when you get to the loop part of the lollipop. But it seems like counterclockwise is the way to go. Yes. So amazing hike. You'll see a lot of cool rock formations. They're scrambling. Uh, You know, it's one of those hikes that makes me feel like a kid again. Now, if you're in Arches National Park, it's like many national parks. You, You can't go wrong with any of the hikes. However, one we'll mention is Delicate Arch. It's about a three mile round trip, about 500 feet elevation gain. Pretty crowded, Mm -hmm. uh, a little tough to find parking sometimes, but I mean, Delicate Arch is just a spectacular site to see. It's kind of a, it's iconic. I mean, it's an iconic national park site. So that, that could be an alternative. You know, I think honestly, one of the reasons it didn't make our favorite list is because of the crowds and because of the the line of people waiting to get their photo under the arch. And it just, it kind of takes away from the, I'm in a wilderness place and I'm on this cool hike. Still and all, uh, if you're in arches, you know, you, you got to go see the delicate arch. Okay. And just a little bit to the West then moving to Bryce Canyon National Park and the Fairyland Loop Hike. Yeah. One of my favorite hikes, well, that's why it's on the list is, <laughs> is this particular hike. It's about eight miles round trip. 
you know, it's only 1,500 feet elevation gain, but I always find this as a, you know, it's a workout. Yes. By the time you get back, you're like, you're done. You've had enough hiking for the day. Yes, it's it's rated strenuous, and I would agree with that. And a section of it does include the rim trail. So you're walking down into the hoodoos for a big section of it. And then no matter which direction you go or which point you start, it includes part of the rim trail as well to get back to where you're parked. Yeah, and I think that one of the reasons we like it so much is you, you do get all these great views. It's not as crowded. We have been to Bryce Canyon National Park at times when we thought we couldn't stay and do a hike because we could not find parking anywhere right. in the park. Mm-hmm. And even on that day when we did this trail, there weren't many people on it. So that's one of the reasons we like it is just there's many open stretches where you just feel like you're totally by yourself, even though, you know, the park's like at its capacity. Right. This particular hike, and you know, this is part of the amphitheater, but it's to the north and all the crowds and the buses are, are slightly to the south by where the lodge is and by Sunrise Point and Sunset Point. That's where all the crowds go. So we like the fact that, that this is a little more remote and also, you know, the eight miles cuts down on, on a lot of the crowds too, because a lot of people don't want to hike an eight mile trail. Yeah, so we highly recommend the Fairyland Loop. Now, people are going to listen to this, Karen, and they're going to say, oh, but you didn't mention (laughs) all of those other hikes, those trails in the amphitheater, like the Navajo Queens Garden Loop, which is spectacular. And they are. Those those hikes are spectacular. Mm -hmm. And our alternative, we would suggest the Navajo Queens Garden Loop, which is only about Three miles round trip, 600 feet elevation gain, spectacular views of the amphitheater, in the amphitheater, beautiful colors of the of the sandstone hoodoos. So the Queen's Garden Trail descends from Sunrise Point and the Navajo Loop Trail descends from Sunset Point. So no matter which point you start at, you do it as a loop. Now, I noticed on the website the Park Service recommends hiking this loop in a clockwise direction, going down the Queen's Garden Trail and up the Navajo Loop Trail. And that's because the Queen's Garden is less steep. And so it makes the descent a little bit easier and safer. Um, They note that most injuries happen on the way down. Now, we always hike it in the other direction. We do the opposite, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. As we do in most cases. But it does make sense, right? You know, No one falls up a hill. Right, right? Um, for sure. Yeah, you could do it either way. Yeah, and anyone um, who has been to Bryce knows the beauty of these hoodoos and one of the most spectacular parks there is. So even if you have just a half day and you go and you don't have time to do the fairyland loop this navajo queen's garden loop will take you down and show you some of the some of the highlights of what's down in the amphitheater right So, Karen, what's the best time to hike in Bryce Canyon National Park? You know, this one's a little different because uh, Bryce Canyon sits at high elevation and they they can get a lot of snow in the winter, which is beautiful. But that's going to kind of change your hiking, (laughs) your hiking choices a little bit. We were there one January and a snowstorm, an unexpected snowstorm came in overnight while we were staying there. And we went to the park that next morning, and it was spectacular. And you can snowshoe these trails, uh, so that would be a, a cool experience. We didn't because we didn't for that trip. We just didn't happen to have our snowshoes with us. I think again, this is more of a spring and fall thing. Yes, uh, yes. it can get super hot in in the mm-hmm. summer, even though it's at elevation. Yeah, we went once at the end of November. And I swear we were the only people in the park. It was a weekday. It was the week after Thanksgiving. And oh gosh, nobody was there. And it was beautiful. So um, yeah, pretty much an all year round park. But again, in the summer, you're going to have a lot more crowds, more kids, and uh, it can get hot down there. All right. Last hike on the list is in Zion National Park, also in Utah, just to the west of Bryce Canyon. And our choice for Zion National Park is the Narrows, the hiking in the Virgin River. Yes, an amazing hike. The Narrows, as you can probably guess by the name, is the narrowest section of Zion Canyon. It's a gorge that has walls that rise a thousand feet on both sides. 
And sometimes they're just 20 to 30 feet wide with this Virgin River running through it. And because it's so spectacular, it is one of the most popular hikes in Zion National Park. Literally, the trail is the river or the river is the trail. So you have to be aware of the water level. In the spring, the water level can be pretty high and the river's running and that makes it a much more difficult. And at times the, the park just closes the trail. Right. When the snow is melting and the, and the river is flowing swiftly, it will be closed for, gosh, days or weeks. Yeah. And this is one where you could hike a half mile in, a mile in, you could hike five miles in and back. It would be in an out and back. You're going to see incredible views just going in a mile. Right. The lighting is very unusual in these tight canyons because the sun reflects off the canyon walls and it just creates really ideal conditions for photography. It's a great place to get photos and it's just a spectacular place to hike and, and see the views. It is. And so we would consider this to be an easy hike if you go in the summer and the fall when the water level is lower and the current is slower. When we've done it, Uh, both in September and in June, the water was probably anywhere from knee high to thigh high. You are walking, before you turn around, you are walking against the current, right? You're walking upstream. So that does make it slightly harder. But um, it's just fun. And, And sure, you could fall in and get wet. But it's exhilarating and really unlike any other hike that we'd ever done at the time. Now, a lot of visitors, they'll go and they'll rent water shoes sometimes depending on the year the time of the year they'll rent uh, wetsuits uh, and you'll see people with these long wooden sticks we have not done any of those things mm-hmm. uh, we're not saying that they're bad but we hike with our hiking boots because we want the traction and you're just going in they're going to get wet they're going to get completely soaked but you get the traction because a lot of the rocks are slick so we want to have that traction Uh, We also hike with trekking poles. The reason we do that is because we want to have two points of contact with our arms. So we have four. You have two two feet, two trekking poles. You always have four points of contact. And so uh, that gives you just a lot more stability. One advantage, however, of the long wooden sticks that people carry is it's easier to test the depth of the water where you're going. Right. And so that's kind of the purpose of those long wooden sticks. When you're seeing people with a lot of rented gear that are going in and you wonder, do I need that? You know, you could. Uh, and there's outfitters right in the town of Springdale that'll hook you up. Sure. They'll get you anything you need, but you don't need much. One thing we would also recommend is to have a dry sack in your backpack that in case you go under, you know, the things that you want to stay dry will stay dry, like maybe your camera or your lunch or a change of clothes. Keep in mind that you could potentially go under the water and so could your backpack. Yeah, you'll probably go under. Yeah. (laughs) So this hike starts at the very end of the canyon road at the Temple of Sinawava. When the shuttle is running, which is most of the year, you'll have to take the shuttle back there and you definitely want to get on the first shuttle get an early start so you can beat the crowds on this one yeah and this is generally a bottom up hike meaning you're hiking from uh down river up and then you're just hiking back uh, from where you came you can do it as top down that's a whole nother description it requires a permit Mm -hmm. it's kind of tough to get to the put in spot at, at the top of the trail so for our list here we're recommending the bottom up Right. And as we said, the turnaround point is five miles out. It's called Big Springs. That's as far as you're allowed to go. And then so if you make it all the way there and back, it's a 10 mile hike, which we have done. You know, it took us probably. It took a long time. You're going of the day. You're going slower. You're not going nearly as fast, even as a slow walk. Right. As we said, no permit is required for this. And I would add yet because it gets so crowded at times that I would not be surprised if the Park Service at some point um, starts a permit system for the Narrows to control the crowds. Yeah. Best time to go? Uh, Well, the times we went, I thought were great. June and September. Mm -hmm. I like summertime because you're in the water 
and it's better to have the air temperature be hot. I mean, you're halfway submerged into cold water, so that's kind of actually a nice combination. Although we've been there in the winter, and we see people doing it in wetsuits, so I still want to do that someday, but I, I think summer's the time to go. After the rush of the spring melt, I think that's the best time to go. So if you're vacationing in the summer with your kids, this is a fantastic hike. If you don't have kids, then we would suggest maybe going in September once school has started up again uh, and go on a weekday because the crowds will be a lot less. If you don't have kids, you can just do whatever you want <laughs> anytime. <laughs> you just It's true. Yeah. Go to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> after you do yeah, the, after, the after you do this. after you do all 10 of these hikes <laughs> then, right. then go to Paris and go to Paris and that wraps up our list again so many more hikes that are amazing that we could have put on this list but we had to had to cut it to 10 and of course we haven't hiked every trail in every national park I still have a few in my wish bucket so who knows uh, in a few years we might have an entirely new list of 10 favorites so thanks for uh, joining us today. Next up uh, at the end of August will be another mailbag. Episode. Mailbag exclamation point. And also we have some fun episodes coming up in the fall. We are going to do one on the Oregon Trail, which I am totally excited about. We've been going around the country looking at Oregon Trail wagon ruts. Yeah, we'll have to get the marketing department on, on that one because I'm... <laughs> Not sure just telling people about the ruts <laughs> is enough of an enticement. That sounds like one big History Channel episode, Karen. I guess in a way it is, but you know, we haven't had much History Channel this summer, and I know you miss it. So that'll be a good one because it's really, really an adventure story yeah. and History Channel will wrapped on. Will there be inappropriate laughter? Oh, always. Okay. Maybe some maybe some crying. I think it'll have a little bit of everything. You do laugh and cry, don't you? I, I'm very personal. <laughs> personal. I'm, I'm going to go back to all of our recordings and see what's the shortest time span between your laughing and crying. And then what will you do with that, Matt? Well, I'd ask a professional. If your wife laughs and cries within two minutes and three seconds, on a regular basis. <laughs> I think you're going to be the one crying pretty soon. <laughs> okay. All right, enough of that. Lots of good stuff coming up in the fall. So thanks, uh, thanks for hanging out with us today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.